What's up, everyone? Welcome to Security Squawk Podcast. I'm your co-host, Brian Horning, here with Ryan O'Hara, Reginald Andre, and Randy Bryan. Welcome to another week, another show, gentlemen. How are you today? Not too bad. What's going on, guys? Doing well. Doing great down here in Texas. <laughs> nice. Randy, we have a cold snap. Do you have a cold snap? Are you dealing with cold? Yeah. I mean, the wind was blowing last night. I think it was like 70 outside and the wind was blowing. And it felt like 60 and I thought I was going to die. That's, that's a cold snap, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's a cold snap. So, uh, guys, today we're going to actually do a little bit of a deep dive uh, on one topic, which is um, the lapsus, this lapsus group, if that's what you want to call them. I mean, I guess we could talk about what they even are in the first place, but they're making some waves and there's they have – uh, they're making some noise in the cybersecurity world. Um, we're going to talk about kind of wh what their claim to fame is, wh what they've been doing, how they're getting into, and really their methodology behind how they actually compromise companies and get into their accounts. Because I think it's going to be pretty eye-opening, especially on the heels of um, President Biden coming out and saying that private businesses need to do a better job with cybersecurity. Um, we're hearing politicians kind of repeat this uh, over and over again, even at the local level, um, that businesses need to do more. Um, businesses need to do more because the FBI knows. The FBI knows when they walk into these events, when they get wind that something's going on and they go in and they figure out what these companies are doing for cybersecurity and they see not much. Um, that is why this is coming out. And this is why you see politicians because the FBI is briefing these politicians and telling them how bad it is. Now, between my po this podcast and my YouTube channel, if you follow me, you should know how bad it is. Because I talk about this all the time. I talk about how businesses aren't doing enough. So what we're going to do today is start educating people on what the heck they're doing and what they need to start doing to protect themselves from the activities that this group is doing. Before we do, uh, Andre, what's the fee? The fee is free. All, all that we ask is for you to um, share this channel if you find this useful. And of course, um, between all the different platforms, uh, like and subscribe. That's right. We don't charge for this. We don't annoy you with ads and like we don't have sponsors and stuff like that. We just want to bring you the goods and you can bring us the goods by sharing us out. So, all right, guys, I'm going to bring it up on the screen. Hey, Brian, while you're bringing that up, too, I, I just yep. wanted to point out something because I've, I've heard a lot about this, strangely mm -hmm. enough. Uh, so you, you mentioned, you know, hearing it from politicians where yep. people are, are coming out and, and depending on the politician that's saying it, you know, and, and their political affiliation, you know, sweeping stuff under the rug as, as you know, it, it, it's against my political beliefs. I, I think it's it's worth pointing out, you know, I, I think we've got a pretty diverse uh, uh, range of, of hosts here uh, and we all know that this is all real. So don't take this information just because you don't like who's in the white house and say that it's not real. This stuff is happening. And if you don't act like this is real, you're, you're just setting yourself up for trouble. Mm -hmm. Good point, my friend. So I always love sharing stuff from uh, Chris Krebs. He's one of my favorite uh, people that writes about this stuff. Um, so we're going to kind of share his article uh, first here and talk about, you know, his 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 particular um, 
view or what research he's uncovered around this this lapsus group. So, um, Ray, uh, Ryan, what kind of let's start high level here. Like, yeah. what has this group done? Like, why are they notorious? Why are we even talking about them? They kind of came out of the blue with some really, really high profile, uh, successful attacks on, on things like Microsoft and Okta most recently. Uh, NVIDIA, um, who else did we have? There's there's probably five or six of them, yeah. Um, so they came out of nowhere, um, you know, relatively unknown with some really major. Uh, high-profile attacks, and so everybody's kind of left going, "You, know, what's what's going on? How are they doing this?" Um, and so this was one of the first articles I saw that actually was kind of going through some uh, actual debrief of of the tactics that they're using. And I, I think what's really interesting about this is um, a lot of what they're doing falls more under the category of social engineering. You know, and and we've talked about it before. People have this assumption from, from Hollywood and, and, you know, TVs and, and movies, you know, what a hacker means to them. You know, it's, it's that, that guy in the hood that's in the, in the dark, you know, typing furiously for 30 seconds to break into the NSA. And that's, it's usually not how this goes. So some of the things that this article talks about uh, that the ways that they're getting access to these really high level targets, um, you know, is, is stuff like social engineering. I mean, they're, they're finding little bits of information, talking to people and getting access to things like their personal email account, and then using, that to access their business accounts. So, you know, one of the things it points out was a lot of companies will use uh, a, a employee or, you know, third party vendor and use a, a, a personal email account to send them, you know, the, the two factor authentication for VPN or things like that. So getting into a, uh, a personal email account that typically has a lot less protection on it um, is allowing them to get access to the things that they need in order to reset a company password and, and gain access that way. Um, they're also doing uh, recruiting on the web uh, to find employees, whether it's, you know, and, and I think um, both Okta and Microsoft, I believe, were both uh, um, third-party vendor employees that had access to certain things. And so they were able to get access to that. It didn't state whether either of those were an issue where they, those were recruited folks or or somehow, but they're, they're sending messages to people, you know, asking for an in, you know, from an insider to get into this stuff. You know, so it's, it's really, really important to make sure that businesses are keeping an eye on uh, irregular activity because, you know, it may not be a, a quote unquote hack that's getting into the system. It may, it may be somebody that's getting in through means that, you know, that particular employee would normally log in with and looking for, you know, weird activity that that particular person's doing. Yep, 100%. That's a good good breakdown. So what exactly, let's just jump in, like, what exactly did, briefly, Randy, if you want to throw in there, or Andre, um, what exactly did they do to Microsoft? Um, I'm not 100% sure um, on that. I know the article discusses how they basically got credentials, um, leaked credentials, and then basically found people that had MFA set up um, where you get a push notification to your phone and a little pop-up thing that says approve. Um, and basically doing um, what's called MFA bombing or prompt bombing, where you basically make those little prompts start coming up. And then the people, they, they either get uh, annoyed um, or they just don't realize what's going on. Like you send them one at two in the morning and it wakes them up and they push allow, you know, thinking that they're doing a good thing. But in actuality, they're allowing the people to get in. And it was simple stuff like that, that they were able to get into um, all of these all of these companies. That's one of the things that really uh, stood out to me the most about this article 
is that it wasn't some, you know, unknown vulnerability with Windows or, you know, Java or something like that that's been around for a long time and no one knew about it or something they discovered. I mean, it was just you know, something as simple as let's just send these people MFA prompts over and over and over. And eventually somebody's going to screw up and then boom, we're in. Yeah, and it's it's definitely what you know security experts as as we are. We're always looking for you know talking about Russia and talking about all of these other adversaries that can uh, potentially hack our clients or hack you know a company in this country. But here it is. We're talking about teenagers, a teenager in Oxford, which is in England, that is basically uh, or supposedly the mastermind um, be, uh, that's behind this. So it's it's really interesting. And, you know, I always like to do parallels when you think of, you know, for example, a suicide bomber. It's usually a woman or children. It's someone who's within your your scope or uh, let's think of it like a terrorist or something like that. It's it's not going to be the one that is like an obvious thing. It's like, wow, it was just a teenager. He was, you know, just doing a few things. And here you go. Now he's, you know, um, one of the biggest cyber threats in 2022. And it's a teenager. Yep. Yeah, and these these things are, you know, in, in this case, they are the threat, but but it's also, you know, something that we see where you have these ransomware groups or these these hacking groups, uh, they are creating, you know, these these packages, but they're licensing it out to like, you know, average people who don't necessarily have a whole lot of computer skills, where all, all they need to do is, you know, be on the inside, click on an email or, or send stuff out to people that they know. Um, and it disperses that, it, you know, so that that makes it really difficult uh, from a protection standpoint, because, you know, these could be, you know, legitimate avenues uh, that are just being exploited by, you know, the weakest element in any security stack, the, the humans. Yeah, so um, with Microsoft, they they stole a bunch of data. And this is this is <clears throat> this is the group that we've been talking about for a while. We just didn't know that they were behind all of these hacks. So you got Microsoft, Samsung. NVIDIA, Ubisoft, Octo, which we already mentioned, are all victims of this company, and they go after big tech companies. Um, they literally go out on the internet, they go to social media, and they try to solicit employees of these companies to get them access to these networks. Like They just want access, and they're very brazen and bold about it. They don't deploy ransomware. But they use the double extortion technique. And I brought this up before on the show weeks ago where I said, probably it was probably in 2021, if I remember correctly. But I said, are we going to start seeing an element where they just don't deploy ransomware? They take the data and then they hold that over your head that we're going to release it. Real quickly, let's talk about you know, what I said when I started talking here, which is they stole a bunch of, of source code from Microsoft. Um does that concern you guys? <laughs> yeah, of course, because if they have source code, they can pour over it and find vulnerabilities. Right. I mean, that's the bottom line. That's how the exchange hack came about. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Source code was leaked. Um, and then, you know, the one, the big one from last year, source code was leaked and they found vulnerabilities and started exploiting them. So, yeah, that's a big concern when source code gets released or right. stolen. Right. So in the, you know, that is that is exactly what happened with the exchange hack. Um, and, you know, once you have kind of inside information on how the thing was constructed, then you know how to attack it. Right. You know, if that's why Microsoft is not open source, they they 
they see the security uh, challenge, you know, that they have with their software to be solved by keeping that closed source. Um, and there's a big debate whether open source or closed source is better or not. Um, you know, I have my own opinions that I'll kind of keep to myself, but you know, that's kind of where this lies. We got to watch when these big companies like Microsoft, when they're doing, when they have the market share that they have with the computers and when they, and the market share that they're gaining in the cloud, um, and, and this kind of stuff is happening. It's, it should be a major concern for a lot of people. Um, because, you know, quite frankly, this is why, you know, we need tools like, like zero trust process based things, because those types of tools that are on the system will not allow things to run within windows. And, it, you know, it's, I don't know if I can describe it any any more layman than that, but essentially, you know, it, a zero trust piece of software on Windows, a lot of people think that you, you don't need it or it's unnecessary, but this is what's going to prevent the day that a hacker figures out how to, you know, hack Windows, you know, and Microsoft can't stop it or, you know, there's no easy fix type of thing. Um, this is what zero trust tools that you can put on windows computers do it's a red light green light type of thing it's like can this thing run or no um it doesn't make a decision on the fly a human being essentially has to go in and say yeah we like this particular thing running on this system so we're going to allow it right when something new crops up if it's not on the allowed list it's not going to be allowed to function it's not going to be allowed to run and we've seen it with, we saw it with the Kaseya attack. We know MSPs that had this zero trust in place did not get ransomware. Um, and that's a known fact. So zero trust is important. And this is how you're going to stop this stuff. Um, you got to do zero trust at a lot of different levels. You can't just do it on the computers and, and not do it, say, on the network. Um, that's, a, that's probably another topic for another show that we can get into. But ultimately... In my opinion, right now, where we stand today, zero trust is how you're going to prevent this stuff. Do you guys agree or disagree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. And I yeah, think that's, I mean, that's why these it. types of stories are important, too. So, like, you know, we, we get people ask us all the time, like, why does this matter to me? You know, Lapsus isn't going to target my small business. And, yes, maybe that's true, but Lapsus is hitting these large companies and getting this source code. And then, you know, that's going to lead to the vulnerabilities that are going to roll down and, and be an impact on these small businesses. So it's really, really important to make sure that we're keeping an eye on this, uh, you know, and following this. Because, you know, based on the source code that they got, that that might be the next vulnerability we see in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And this shows that 37 gigabytes of source code on projects, including Bing and Cortana. Which That's what they that's what they've leaked. Right. Right. So yeah. God knows what they actually have. Yeah. Yeah. And they and, um, the lapses. People were uh, were publishing this on their Telegram channel, mm -hmm. and Microsoft saw that and was able to block the download like halfway through it. Um, an interesting quote from Microsoft said, "They Microsoft said they do not rely on the secrecy of code as a security measure, and viewing source code does not lead to elevation of risk." That's as, that's almost as bad as Okta last week telling us that nothing to worry about, guys, mm -hmm. no big deal. You know, and now coming back later and apologizing about it. I mean, yes, um, you know, 
I guess it's not a security measure, but view viewing source code does lead to elevation of, elevation of risk because 100%. good programmers can find um, backdoors ways to, to use it. Right. And we should do it. We should we could do a, a talk at on one of the shows about you know closed source versus open source methodologies and and, and what the different theories are behind it and why one might be better than the other and what are the drawbacks. Don't want to dive into that too much today. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a reality, right? There's open source software out there. There's closed source software out there. Um, and there's a big debate in our, in our world, in our industry about which is the right way to go. And Microsoft at times has kind of teased that they were going to go open source. Um, I don't think they will, uh, you know, anymore. They kind of backed off a lot of that talk. Um, so we'll see where it goes. We'll see kind of what wins out over time here. Um, anything else from Krebs's article you guys want to jump into before I move on to uh, kind of the rest of the stuff that we wanted to highlight? That, yeah. that Telegram channel that Randy mentioned, uh, yeah. they have 45,000 subscribers. So they are disseminating this information and trying to recruit and they've got a pretty large yeah. audience. Yeah. yeah. I mean, right. They have, you know, they, they have well, let's talk about that like what are they doing on this telegram channel uh if you, essentially yeah <laughs> if you scroll down in the article it tells what they're looking for yep because right now they're not looking for data um they're looking for uh specific people um people at call centers server hosts um they want to provide uh, the vpn the citrix or an any desk connection um i mean I was reading about, I, I, I was kind of thinking along the lines of, you know, your average user, they're very comfortable if they've had to use a VPN, they're very comfortable with old school VPN. We've got to get away from that. Um, that's one of the things that they're calling for. Hey, get us access to your VPN. We really need to go move our VPN towards zero trust, like Brian already mentioned. Zero trust just means everything has to be identified. Um, the user has to be identified. The device has to be identified mm -hmm. where they're going has to be specified. Like you don't just get access to everything because you have VPN and it's so, it's so easy and comfortable the old way, but man, the old way sucks. And that's mm -hmm. how these people are getting into uh, these, uh, these networks. Yeah. So yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. The old way does suck. You're right. Um, Steven has a question here uh, in the, uh, in the comments. Uh, is it safe to keep using Microsoft cloud products to source sensitive data after the source code breach? Um, I mean, I, I think this is, you know, you, you could ask this question about anything. Um, Microsoft in particular, I, I think where this is important, do I think it's safe? You know, I think it's just as safe as anything else. If you take the steps to protect your data um, and making sure, you know, you can't just roll out your stuff into Microsoft and, and think you're good right out of the box. There's a lot of different things that we can do to secure that data and restrict access to it. So, you know, even if somebody had, uh, you know, the username, password, and, and even, you know, was successful in MFA bombing, you know, if we have other restrictions in place to lock it down to certain, you know, geographies, certain IP addresses, uh, managed devices, there are ways to really protect this and lock this down and add other layers uh, of requirements to it. Um, so I think it, I think the answer is yes, it is still safe, uh, so long as it's it's been properly configured. Um at the same time, the, you know, one of the core tenets of zero trust is to assume that the bad people are in. And so I would every bit of data that I put on Mac on Microsoft, I would assume that the bad people are in because there may be some data, depending on the level of sensitivity, 
there may be some data that needs to be in an encrypted safe box, if you will, in, you know, in something else or in Microsoft or whatever. Um, but you've got to have that mentality about everything these days and think about everything you do with the idea that the bad guys are already in. So if they're already in and they're messing with stuff, then how would that change how I store my data? Would that change how I store my, mm -hmm. my data? You know, do I need to look at something better or more secure um, if I'm do if I'm using a Microsoft cloud product? And probably we ought to start assuming that they've gotten into a lot more than just Microsoft. You know, I agree. there's a thousand little vendors out there compared to Microsoft that, you know, do all kinds of stuff that have probably also been, you know, um, hacked in some way. And to that degree, like storing stuff on premises too doesn't necessarily make it any safer. I mean, there's mm -hmm. there's different loopholes there. I mean, somebody could still be in. A lot of times, what we see with with on-premises equipment is it's not patched and, and updated as regularly either. Like people forget things. Uh, it's not you know you don't have a a large army of people making sure that this stuff is being done. So you know everything really could be at risk, and it's just a matter of making sure you have that visibility and and, and you're keeping up on this stuff. Yeah, and going back to that recruitment, um, they're offering $20,000 a week for this access. So um, that's why, in my opinion, there's still got to be someone. Yes, the 14-year-old teenager is involved, but for me, there's still got to be some back end because I find that, you know, for, for somebody to be shelling up that type of money and being able to organize all that and still go to school and things like that, I just don't know um, how that works. Well, so, the one that was arrested in, in England, they said was, was a, a, a multimillionaire a closet multimillionaire from all of this. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I want to point out to everybody is that we're talking about lapses because they're in the news. There's thousands of other groups like this that are not operating in a similar fashion that are operating what some might consider better, you know, from a business standpoint, they know how to do things. There's a lot of speculation that the guy behind Lapsus was really just an attention seeker and somebody who was looking to get attention. Um, and he really didn't have, and this might just because of his, be because of his age and his maturity level, he did, really didn't have um, his methodologies, especially when it came to asking people for money and asking businesses for money once he, you know, ones that they, you know, were able to successfully attack them. So they're asking for ridiculous sums of money that, that don't correlate with the amount of data or the quality of the data that was stolen. Um, they, one of the mistakes that is, is known is that when they went after EA games, they tried to use a motherboard reporter to negotiate the ransom with EA thinking that the reporter would actually work as a liaison for them and, he wasn't going to do that, but they tried. Um, and it sounds like they got paid and it took them a while to get paid because of their methodologies and, and the way that you can do this. But quite frankly, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make me feel good when a kid this age can do this much damage. Like, and it, it has nothing to do with our ability to stop them right, has everything to do with the fact that these companies don't invest enough money in cybersecurity. I'll go back to what I started the show with and what this government keeps saying over and over. 
Um, I, I kind of want to open it up and talk to you guys and say, what the heck is it going to take for businesses to really start to do what needs to be done? And I'm like, we're trying to educate people and tell them, Hey, here's what needs to be done. Um, but I don't feel great about how much is being done right now. And, you know, and, and like, this is why teenagers are able to do this stuff. Um, it's mind boggling to me that it's so easy. Uh, you can't even call these guys cyber criminals, right? Mm -hmm. They're just kids fucking around on the internet and, and making millions of dollars doing it. It's that easy. You know, the, the scary thing about what you just said, because they are kids and because they're killing it, they're, they're going to be mimicked. I, I would um, expect an explosion in this stuff. You know, there's probably a lot of people out there that are cyber criminals. They don't know much about the technology, but they're they're all they're all about the ransomware as a service. And they're thinking, yeah, I can pay twenty five hundred a month for this service or I can do what these kids did and just do something that's maybe a little more accessible to me. I don't know. Uh -huh. I think there's going to be some mimic mimic a lot of mimicking of this not, because they've been successful. Not only that, but like this is going to open up a lot of teenagers eyes to the fact that they can make money doing this well right or wrong i don't a lot of this a lot of teenagers uh decision making isn't you know fully matured yet and that's what scares me is that like at least you know when i had to start dealing with this stuff i was well into my 30s right and i knew right from wrong and i knew like yeah i can hack yeah i can i can create damage but i'm not going to do it for bad. Right. I'm not going to go take advantage of companies and extort them. And, you know, but I did decide that I was going to defend and become a defender and help these businesses do what they need to do. So they don't end up getting hacked. My, my fear is, is that we're going to have, you know, we need talent, right? All of us here, all four of us, right? We all need cybersecurity talent, right? My fear is, is that it's going to be more attractive to go on the dark side and do the hacking and, and, and be a criminal than it will to actually do what we're doing, which is, you know, work in cybersecurity companies and, and, you know, do the right thing and defend and, and use this technology for good and not for evil. And that's really, you know, what scares me. And what scares me even more is because you can sit in your friggin' basement and do this. And if you're good enough, you can hide yourself real freaking good so nobody can find you, right? And that's where a lot of mistakes are going to be made by teenagers is they're not going to hide themselves well, like this guy in the UK, and he's, they're going to get caught. But along the way, there's going to be teenagers who hide themselves well and never get caught. And plus, because they're inexperienced, you know, we've also got the potential that they're going to do more damage inadvertently. So, you know, they, they may deploy something. You know, with the intent of, of, you know, asking for ransom and then, you know, providing a decryption key or what have you, but then realize, oops, we didn't do that right. So this decryption key is no good. Your data is toast. So, you know, it, it could make things a lot worse and a lot, a lot more disorganized. On the flip side of that, I, I think <clears throat> we also run the risk on the good side of that, where we're, we're seeing a lot of um, IT providers who are starting to uh, try and get into security, but thinking that, you know, it's as easy as saying, I want to get into security and, and start, you know, rolling out some minimal protections and calling it cybersecurity, giving people a false sense, a false sense of security at that point. Dude, I've seen even worse than that, but <laughs> um, I've seen people run 
cybersecurity assessments and they're not really cybersecurity assessments mm-hmm. you know, and giving people a false sense of security in that realm too. So let's jump into and wrap up with this um, article that I have up because it says lapses and solar winds hackers both use the same old trick to bypass MFA. And we spent a lot of time talking, we spend a lot of time talking about MFA and encouraging people to use it along with password managers and other things. We always talk about a layered approach. If you are fans of this show or you watch anything, you got to know by now that this, there's not one thing that you can do that's going to protect you. You have to do multiple things, right? Um, and <clears throat> what are they doing? Let's, let's just kind of cut right into it. What's the trick that they're, they're doing to bypass MFA? And what are some ways that MFA can be bypassed or, or circumvented uh, because, you know, I could be that person who's sitting here thinking, well, these guys told me to turn on MFA or my IT guy told me I got to use MFA and now I'm here and it's not working. So what's going on with this? I mean, there's kind of three ways they used. One we mentioned already was the prompting um, where the prompt goes. The other um, is using the, using the self reset um, capabilities. I know Mark, Microsoft pushes that like crazy, especially to 365 tenant admins. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another one is just straight up calling the employee and saying, hey, this is Jim from the IT department. Sorry to bug you, but, you know, we had a we had a hack attempt or something and we need to reset your MFA. Can we walk you through that? Oh, sure, Jim. Thanks. Love it when you guys are mm-hmm. looking after us. I mean, just picking up the phone and calling them. I mean, those tricks are as old as people have been around, you know, basically in one way or another. Um, so that's what, what what they're referring to. Some of the stuff they're referring to when they're referring to the same old tricks, um, you know, just taking a look at what we've always been doing or what they've always been doing and just kind of making it 2022. A lot of the, a lot of the same old tricks. Yep. So everybody, if, if anybody uses MFA and if they're familiar with kind of how your MFA works or, or some of these apps work, um, you know, I know Authy works like this. I know uh, Duo works like this. Uh, where you get that push notification sent to your phone instead of opening the app and typing and looking for the code, the six-digit code, and typing that code in. These MFA providers allow you to get a push notification um, that make it very easy for somebody to kind of click on it. Now, you could inadvertently click on it, right? It could come up and your thumb just hits the approve you know, icon or, or the approve link and, the, and, and then the hackers in, right? Um, th- these are the things that we're starting to see. And they'll do things like they'll just bomb your phone with massive push notifications, hoping that one of them will, you might inadvertently click it and, and let them in. Um, I personally would tell you to use a different MFA or turn off the push notification, Right. Like, and what I mean by that is like, if you're a duo user and you have push notifications, come on, I know you can change the setting to where the push notification can come through, even if your phone's locked, which is a really bad idea, right? Because if your phone's just sitting there and you're in a, you know, somebody could be in a public place and, and authorize your uh, two factor without even being authenticated to your phone, right? So 
I would turn that off for sure. Don't allow notifications to come through while the phone's locked. And then while the notifications are, if the notifications are pushing through, turn that off. You want to be able to go into the app. You want to be very intentional about what you're doing. Go into the app, open it up, and then the push notification will come through and you'll see it. If that, if it happens any other way, I wouldn't click on it. So you guys agree with that? Because I think a lot of users, and we talk about how bad, how, what convenience does to security. They usually are like oil and water, right? If it's convenient, it's probably making you less secure. Mm -hmm. convenient to set up convenient to use right so if you're doing things out of convenience you're probably making yourself less secure yeah there's a little bit of tension there though because if it's complex complexity is the enemy of security so you've got a little tension there and then business has to always come first so that's another little tension in that but yeah i totally agree with what you're saying and and this is why it's so important that you have to do um training with your with your staff and and the company trainings because if you're if you're just working on your your emails or on the web, you know, doing work, and all of a sudden you get something popping up on your phone, you should screenshot that. You should be calling your IT company. There's different logs and, and things that they can look at to see why is this even prompting. And also, if you're if if you're if the hackers at a point where they have they're prompting the two FA, more than likely they have your password, which is another problem. Mm -hmm. So again, when you're when if your employees are getting this, train them. Like if you get this and you weren't expecting it, you weren't on Microsoft's website or Dropbox or whatever you're using, let IT know, let them investigate this, open up a ticket, and let them do the work to see what's going on. Employees can be your your biggest bottleneck for sure, but they can be your biggest uh, advantage as well. I mean, that's that's a lot more eyeballs you have if you get them in the mentality of of looking for these different security things and thinking with that mindset. Um, you know, to where you know sometimes these policies and these settings can be you know extremely complicated and overlapping, and then you know these providers you know change things on you. So having people trained to to see something that doesn't look right or see something as as a potential hole. Um, and being able to report that back uh, so you can address it and, and evaluate it, I think is a huge advantage. So getting people into that mindset. Yeah, th that made me think of a little note I wrote down earlier, and I've probably said this before, but people that work in spotting counterfeits with dealing with dollars, um, dealing with money, they spend the majority of their time studying the actual real thing. And that way they can spot a counterfeit we don't want to give off the impression, hey, you got to learn all these other techniques, but you need to learn how to do it the right way. Mm -hmm. So so if it's not the right way, you spot it right away, which is you, you get a notification out of the blue for no reason. You ought to pick up the phone and call your your cybersecurity professional. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that means that something somebody's logged into your stuff. That's not the right way. So, yeah, so learning learning the right way is the most important thing. And yeah, learning and, what yeah. that workflow is supposed to look like. Yeah, and that's a great point because, we're again, as I said before, I've used the analogy. We've talked about the analogy of the seatbelt, right, with the car. We're still mm -hmm. figuring it out, right? We're still figuring out, like, how do we as human beings need to kind of, you know, operate within this technology? And companies are starting to figure out that they got to do more than just give employees an app for MFA. Employees need to know how to handle it properly, right? And I'm going to go on another thing here because I was absolutely floored when I saw this. And again, this is another convenience thing, but, and I think it's related. Um, 
because it opens up another vector. And that's these password managers that are now integrating MFA codes within the password manager. It's a dumb idea. You don't want your MFA living in the same place your passwords live. It's a really stupid idea. Because yeah. if I get access to that, now I have access to your MFA, which is which is what you're trying to prevent in the first place. So it's 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 an oxymoron with technology when these password management companies are allowing you to put your MFA token inside of their app. Um, it's a bad idea. So if you see it and you're like, oh, that's a really cool thing. I'll just have my MFA right there and I don't ever have to grab my phone. Don't do it. Because if I'm a hacker and I get into your password manager, now your MFA is useless because I have access to that too. So, Good point. I mean, that goes back to um, goes back to zero trust. It goes back to network segmentation. It's the literal same idea. You know, if somebody gets in, you want them to feel like they're running in chest high mud to get around inside your network. So you don't want them to like, they get into one thing and like, boom, they have access to everything. You know, that's like getting in, you know, if you wouldn't want to put your passwords and your um, OTP, your one-time password in keeper, because then if they hacked your keeper, they would have access to both of them. So you got to keep all that stuff separate as much as possible. And I would say, keep your backup codes either a in a totally different app or B print them out and put them in a firebox at your house. Yep. One thing uh, I want to touch on something uh, Randy mentioned too is, is cybersecurity professionals and, and letting them know when something weird happens. Um, I think that's one of the other recommendations that came out in that, that list the white house put out uh, last week uh, that was a little bit under the radar was, was making sure that you have a cybersecurity professional to kind of help navigate this field. I mean, this stuff can get very complex very quickly, um, and and we have quickly gotten to a world where you know having somebody having an IT provider specifically in this case a cybersecurity professional is a necessity. Just just like having you know an attorney uh, that helps you out with with navigating uh, the law with regard to your business, you need yep. to have something like this, and uh, you know it's very very important. Yeah, it reminds me of that. Uh, I think it was the LastPass where a bunch of people from LastPass got a notification, you know, an email notification, someone tried to log in and they were thinking, Hey, it's something complicated and it's a last pass hack, mm -hmm. but it turns out, you know, probably the credentials were leaked and people were just logging in. That's, that's a perfect example mm -hmm. of this. You see something like that, reach out to your professional um, about it and they can help you find out what's your password leaked, you know, help you change your password, help you make sure everything's secure. And uh, earlier, um, Ryan, you mentioned, um, speaking of secure, really quick, you mentioned, um, the, and Brian did too, the, the personal email addresses. Mm -hmm. And I would say, especially um, to CEOs and people that have keys to the kingdom, um, cybersecurity professionals need to make sure that their personal stuff's locked down because you get down into almost any app that's a SaaS app, and somewhere down that chain, there's going to be a personal a personal address, whether that's a, you know, a backup recovery email yep. or whatever, we got to get all of that stuff locked down. We got to follow all those little rabbit holes and all those little trails and get them all locked down. Once again, when they get in, we want them to feel like they're running in chest high mud, you know, because there's a million other people out there that are so much easier, you know, just to 
MFA bomb them. You know what Packers I mean? Packers are lazy. We, we know this. They, you know, if, if, it, if it's a little bit of work, unless they really want to go after that particular person or company, they're going to move on to the next one. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the moral of the story here is that, you know, don't just, just because, you know, a company may have a, a, a million dollar, trillion dollar market cap, that they're doing everything that they should do. It's still your responsibility to protect your, your business. Yep, 100%. So we got a couple questions coming in here. So I'm going to fire them up and then we'll wrap up the show. Uh, Steve wants to know, should we use, choose time-based codes generated by a mobile app for MFA whenever possible? Are they the best option we have right now? Uh, I'm just going to say quickly, I believe so. I mean, probably the quote unquote best would, you know, would be a standalone key. I don't think so. I disagree because if I have that key, you, you can get into anything. Yeah. That's I right. mean, you don't know that that's me. Like I believe your phone with a time-based multi-factor and your phone being secured with biometrics is the best way you can go right now. Just, I, I agree from a, from a strictly MFA standpoint, but right. I would also add to that, that MFA in my opinion, isn't enough anymore too. You need to have other restrictions in place to, to prevent yeah. access to that data. Mm -hmm. So like things like making sure that it's, you know, the, the login attempt is coming from a recognized managed device. Yeah. That's funny. You say that because in um, the first article, the lapses, one of the spokespeople or whatever on their telegram channel, they said they logged in to that Microsoft employees account from two different countries at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. Micro freaking soft. Who's always browbeating all of us. Okay. I won't get off on that tangent, but they logged in from two different uh, places. But yeah, so um, I would say it kind of as a little bit of pushback, that phone needs to have regular security updates and you need to be applying them. If it's a LG phone that you love from 2015, you know, like an LG V30, that's a great phone or whatever. You got to get off of it. They're not updating anymore. LG's not even in the business anymore. I think they might have a couple phones. Or if um, it's an iPhone and it's not being updated. I mean, as recently as September of 2021, iPhone had a vulnerability that if you sent a text, no one had to read it. No one had to open it. They could gain access to the device. Microsoft, um, uh, Apple patched that like the end of August, maybe the beginning of September, right around that time. Everything's got to be updated. So if you're going to use a mobile phone, needs to be a name brand. It needs to be updated and recently updated and still on the update path. All right. And then we got our last one, John here. Y'all getting me started. What about SSO for your password? So let's just kind of SSO is stands for single sign on. And that's basically, I don't know the best way I can describe this is it kind of like it authenticates you and there's tokens involved and it, it makes it easier and more convenient to log mm -hmm. in. So I'm just going to mm -hmm. use the word convenient and then let you guys talk about SSO. That back to Randy who talked about it earlier. Well, I think, I think someone on the show said convenience was um, anti-security or can be. So I remember hearing that. Um, like but water, I, water, I said, yeah, I would say about this man on one hand. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, we deal with in our verticals, a lot of untechnical people, mm -hmm. and, you know, just being able to do it all at once like that. Ooh, that'd be great. Mm -hmm. But 
having that capability to, if they have if they have access to your 365 they can then get into the password manager if that's your sso that's the most mm -hmm. common one oof that kind of scares me and yeah. plus the source code's been leaked we don't right. know if it's any of this so right. mm, 100% and the right. other thing people have to be aware is is when you do things like this right like sso you're putting something somewhere on a device that says that this device is okay at at some point in time for a certain period of time. That's known as a token. It could be as simple as a cookie, a text-based document that has a bunch of letters and characters in it that says this device is trusted for now. Those things can be stolen by hackers once they're on your system and put onto their system, and then they can act like they're your device, right? So think about it this way. Your, your, your phone gets a token when you log into a website because you say, I want this device to be trusted trusted, so I don't have to log in so many times. That token is on that device. If I'm a cyber criminal, I can get that token. I can move it to my device. And if I'm good while you're logging in, I can log in at the same time. So true. And what's that? And, I, and, and it's going to see me as the yep. same device. And then yep. I'm in. Yep. Right. And I didn't even have to use a password. Yep. Right. I only had to steal that token. So if I have access enough on your network to steal that tokens from your machine like this, I don't even need to know your password to get into your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. For us, we definitely don't recommend it. And um, we even have alerts. So if there is any type of possibility with someone's Office 365 um, connecting to a, a third party uh, website or app, it alerts us and we call them, we, we educate and, you know, and we tell them to, to take it off. You, you can also, Brian, when you, when you set up your one-time time-based uh, uh, MFA code, they give you either a something to scan or an actual like 30-digit text code. You can take that 30-digit text code. It could be put on other devices yep. at the same time, and then they would also have the same code generated that you have generated. So that's another you know, another little hole in the security, if you will, um, for the hackers to use. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right, guys. I love it. Great show. Great information. Um, you know, we talked about how it happens, why it happens, why it doesn't make sense a lot of times. And we talked about how to protect yourself. And, you know, I think this information is important. And I, you know, I thank everybody, you guys, for your insight on this stuff. Um, we come with a lot of different perspectives and I think we give people a really good perspective on, you know, what they need to be doing and what they need to be aware of. We're not just out here, you know, railing against companies because they're not doing cybersecurity good enough. Although we do like to rail against them because it's, it's a joke right now. Um, but we're using we also, it as a learning experience as well. Right. We also give you the goods on what you should be doing and why you shouldn't be doing things a certain way. Right. Because, you know, quite frankly, I know, you know, with the shortage of cybersecurity talent that's out there, I know companies, IT departments aren't giving this information to their employees. So this is why we do this podcast. It's not just for like business people and business owners. This is for everyday people so they can learn how to protect themselves, their company. Because look, if your company gets hacked, you could be out of a job, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The, yeah. The economy's good. The job market's good. But all signs are pointing down, Right. Job market's going to get bad, right? 
when people are going to start losing jobs because of cyber attacks and they're going to be out of work for a long time, probably in the next 12 months, this is going to start happening. On top of that, you don't want to be the one who clicked on the thing that started it all either. Exactly. Right. So, all right, guys, that's it. Share our show. And we'll see you in the next, uh, the next podcast, everyone. Take care. See you later. Bye-bye.